say, neighbor, there is nothing to fear. Now go to Luke chapter 12. I want to show you why there's nothing to fear, and then I'm going to show you how to handle this pressure. Luke chapter 12, and we've read this many times before. I'll begin reading out of verse 22. You just follow along or catch up when you can. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. It says, And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body which you shall put on it. The life is much more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them, how much more are you better than the fowls? So now you've got to put it in your mind today, because it's, it's a fallacy to think that people aren't concerned about their, natural, about their natural needs. People have natural needs, amen? How many of y'all want to eat this afternoon? Amen? How many you want to have shelter to go to this afternoon? How many you want to have something to put on this afternoon? Amen? Or tomorrow when you go to work. So the Bible understands that we have natural needs. But he said, don't spend all your time just thinking about that. When he says take no thought, it don't mean I don't, I just get up and dress blindly and be looking crazy. No. He says take no thought. Don't spend all your time wondering where your next meal's gonna come from. Don't spend all your time wondering whether or not you're going to get a paycheck in two weeks if you're really going to have your job or not. He says birds don't even think about that stuff and they eat every day. Now, how much more are you to Yahweh than the birds are since you're his highest creation? The Bible then says in verse 28, if then God so clothe the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of what? Little faith. He says, and seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. He says, don't be doubtful. For all of these things do the nations of the world, do the Gentiles, those people out there who live according to that system. They seek after those things. He says, but your father knoweth that you have need of every one of those. He says, the father already knows what you have need of. He actually knows more about what you need than what you think you know what you need. He said the father has already counted up the cost of what it's going to do, what it's going to cost to take care of you. He said, so don't spend your time thinking about those things. He said, but rather. Now, when he says but, what does that mean? It means to cancel out all that worry that we were talking about before and focus on what I'm about to say. He says, but rather seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, I like Luke's account of this because here's what he says in verse 32. Fear what? Not. Now he's saying to you, now understand what you need to do first is seek the kingdom, but you can't seek the kingdom if you are in what? Fear. He says it's impossible for you to seek the kingdom if you're in fear, because fear will cause you to seek after all the natural things rather than the spiritual thing. He said, but if you'll seek after the spiritual thing, you will inherit all the spiritual things and everything you need in the natural. So he says this, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock. Why? For it is your father's good pleasure. It's his will. It's his desire to do what? To give you the kingdom. But now look at what it says in verse 34. He says, but know this, wherever your treasure is, there is where your heart will be. He says, so if you're going to seek after the kingdom, you can't even seek after the kingdom with the idea you're just seeking the kingdom for the natural. Many people say, well, you know, I'm serving God, but why are you serving God? My question is always, God, would I serve you if I didn't get any benefit out of this? 
Because that's the real test. Would you continue serving him if they didn't benefit you in the natural? And for lots of people, lots of people wouldn't pay their tithe, Ralph, if they didn't think the windows of heaven was going to be open for them. But I don't pay my tithe because the windows of heaven, I do not, I used to, but I no longer pay my tithe because I think the windows of heaven are going to be open. I pay my tithe because I love Yahweh. Period. Period. If he never shared anything else with me because I love him, it is not it is not how much I can get from him. It's how much I can give to him because I love him. Now, because I do that, I get to rent the benefit of the open heaven. But if he shut up heaven today, I'd still tithe. Now, now you got to check your life, because if you wouldn't still tithe, I submit to you, you're tithing out of fear. And so you're tithing, but you're wondering why you're not reaping. It's because you're tithing in fear. If you tithe because you think the Lord going to get you, you are tithing in fear. It's what Ralph said earlier to you. He said any time that you got fear in your life, it's because you don't have enough word in that particular situation. I don't tithe because if I do, the curse going to come up on me. I tithe because I love Yahweh. I'm not concerned about a curse. I love Yahweh. That's why I tithe. And so the Bible tells us here, it says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, you have no reason to fear. Now go to Psalms 34. Psalms 34. I'm telling you, man, I'm going to show you something here in a minute if you just hang on. Psalms 34. I am convinced, I am convinced, I am convinced that we have been specifically designed and engineered to handle every pressure that comes our way. I said I've been designed. I've been engineered. I've been crafted to handle any pressure that comes my way. There is, there is no amount of pressure that can overtake me. You, you ought to say, say there's no amount of pressure that can overtake me. You do understand that's why people kill themselves. You do understand that that's the reason people hide themselves in a bottle. That's the reason people hide themselves in drugs. It's the reason they hide themselves in having multiple sex partners. Why? Because they're trying to hide themselves because they're trying to get away from the pressure. But how many of you know when they come out the bottle, when they come from behind the drugs, when they quit sleeping around, the pressure is still there. And if you don't understand that the pressure is never designed to break you, you will always run from the pressure. I embrace the pressure. See, you never see, I don't run from pressure. I don't run from pressure because I realize that pressure is designed to cause me to be better. The only reason the Lord allows pressure to come, and he never sends it, but understand that there are things that happen in this world that just happen because we're in this world. Tell never say it rains on the just as well as the unjust. But now let me help you. With your faith, your faith can act as an umbrella. Because my faith says that if we both go out in the rain, you don't have faith, you don't have an umbrella, you're going to get drenched. I'm barely going to get wet. Because my faith acts as a protector to guard me against those things that will come and cause me to get wet in this bad economic system. 
So I don't have to fear because I can go out in the world and I can do the same things and in the same job that they do, but I don't have to worry about whether they're going to fire me because my faith is keeping the job for me, not me keeping the job for me. Now, I want you to see something in Psalms 34 because, man, if you'll grab hold of this, I'm telling you, it'll change your life. You won't have to be so afraid of everything that's taking place in your life. And so, some, some people are, are hiding from the pressure, and the way they're hiding from the pressure is by being um, uh, by, by, with this sense of apathy. I don't want to face my fears, so I'm going to act like I ain't got no fears, and I'm going to act like everything all right. But you terrified out your mind. You're terrified that something's going to happen. So what you say is if I don't say ain't nothing going to happen, ain't nothing going to happen. But I ain't going to say something will happen because if I do and something do happen, I'm going to look foolish. You're still afraid. I dare you to say I ain't going to lose my job. You didn't say that like you were confident, though. That's what I'm talking about. I ain't going to lose my job. Ain't nothing going to happen that caused me to lose my job. I'm telling you, when you get in faith, you'll start saying stuff out loud. You, I, I, I talk to people all the time, and you can tell when somebody in faith about something, even if they ain't got good sense. You can tell they're in faith about it. Why? Because the first thing they do is come tell you everything they're going to do. Now, it may be stupid, but they'll tell you. Why? Because they got faith for it. But when people aren't in faith about something, they very rarely open their mouth. They very rarely will open their mouth about something they're not fully convinced about. When I tell you that nothing shall by any means hurt anybody connected to this ministry, I stake my reputation on it. I stake my reputation on the fact that nothing shall happen to you if you stick in the word. But, but now watch. You can't be afraid and then something happened and you start talking about, well, Pastor, I lost my job. What happened? Was you reading your Bible? No. Was you reading the prophecy? No. Well, then that's why you lost your job. But I guarantee you, if you will do what the Lord is asking you to do in this year, you'll end up better than you started. Now, now watch this, Psalms 34. Tell your neighbor this before we get started. Say, neighbor, just because you're born again, you are not exempt from life's challenges. Well, if the Lord loved me, why he let this happen? He loved you, that's why he allowed it to happen, so he could let you prove how deep you really were in him, so now you would know how strong you are and quit thinking that you're weak. Psalms 34, verse 1, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Now how the humble going to hear thereof and be glad if you ain't saying nothing? How they going to be glad about what the Lord's going to do for you if you're too afraid to say something because you think in this economic time you can't be telling nobody you're going to buy your second house. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us do what? Exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me, watch this, and delivered me from what? All, some, half, most of. Of my fears. He delivered me from all of my fears. But how did he deliver me? When I cried out to him and was honest and said, Lord, I'm afraid of this. And I'm telling you, the Lord can't help you if you don't say you need help. you got to go to God and say, Lord, I am terrified that I will lose my job. But the prophecy says I won't. Lord, help my wrong beliefs. 
He says, I cried out to the Lord and he heard me and delivered me out of all of my fears. Look at verse 6. He says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his what? Troubles. Put pressure. You can write pressure right there. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his pressures. Out of everything that was pressuring him, he cried out to the Lord. He gave it to the Lord and the Lord took all of his pressure from him. Come here, Barry, for a second. I'm going to let you be Jesus. First time you get to be Jesus. This is your second time being Jesus, ain't it? Stand right here. All right. Here's what happens. When the Lord takes our trouble, the Bible says, cast your what? Care onto who? Because why? He truly, for who? Uh, so here's what happens. Here is the pressure. Okay? Now, I got the pressure on me. Now, don't let my Bible drop when I do this. Hold on. You just stand right there. Now, now, now here's the pressure. All right? Now, here is Jesus. Now, bend over, Jesus. I come to church, and I put my cares on a Jesus. But yet, Jesus got my cares, but I'm still over here walking like this. I'm still afraid I ain't going to have enough. I still got my head hung down, but who got the pressure? So if he got the pressure, what should I be doing? Then get up. Stand up straight. But here's what happens. In church, we like this. But as soon as we walk out, I just slid the pressure back over. And so I don't understand why during the week I can't sing the praise like I do on Sundays. In fact, lately I ain't even been able to praise in church, BJ. I don't know why it is I come to praise and worship and I just feel like I can't wait to go home. Pressure. But I can tell you it's pressure because whatever's plaguing you, if I took care of it, you stand up straight. If you got bill issues and I paid your bills today, you wouldn't be bent over like this. And so I'm trying to get you to understand. Thanks, Jesus. I'm trying to get you to understand that pressure comes to cause you to be something different than what you were designed to be. But it's up to you to get rid of the pressure. Ask your neighbor, say, why do you keep holding on to the pressure? You, are, you were never designed to carry pressure long term. I've been designed and engineered for pressure. To take the pressure and to give it to Yahweh. I've been designed that when pressure comes, I can hold the pressure long enough to give the pressure to the person who is designed to keep the pressure. But notice what the Bible says here in verse 7. It says, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that reverence the Lord, and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, and power to prosper is the man that does what? Trust in the Lord. Now, you can say, you know, Pastor, I done heard this so many times, trust in the Lord. Yeah, but if it ain't working for you, that's because you ain't doing it. I can tell you how to drive from here to Little Rock, but if every time I tell you to drive that way, you keep driving that way, you're never going to get to Little Rock. So it don't matter how many times I have told you, it don't matter how many times you've heard it, it don't matter how many times you have read it, the fact of the matter is it will be evident in your life when you start doing it. People say, I try to give people advice, they say, well, I already know that. Obviously you don't. Because if you already knew, you wouldn't be asking me. And so I'm telling you this morning that if you are having areas in your life where you are being succumbed to pressure, even though you know you're supposed to give the pressure away, you have not given the pressure. I notice what he says in verse 9. He says, Oh, reverence the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that reverence him. 
Now notice that there is no want if I am reverencing God. But I cannot be reverencing God in the way I'm supposed to if I'm afraid of what's going to happen to me. I can't reverence. Here's what he says in plain English. He says you can't have two masters. He says you're going to love one or hate the other. Or you're going to love this one and hate the other. He says you cannot reverence me. You can't love me with everything you got and then love your job so much you're afraid you're going to lose it. You've got to be willing to give up your job, give up your car, give up your family, give up everything you got for the sake of the gospel. Because it's in doing that that I preserve all this over here. And so the, 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 you, can, you can do a reality check and say, am I afraid? Are you willing to, to, to put more trust and effort in that natural thing than you are in Yahweh? Now look at what he says here in verse 11. He says, come, ye children, hearken unto me. What does the word hearken mean? It means to hear and He said, I will teach you the reverential fear of the Lord. Verse 13, he says, keep thy tongue from evil and thy lip from speaking guile. Now, when he says that, he says, I'm going to teach you. Now, notice, he says, I'm going to teach you how you can honor the Lord. He says, keep your mouth from saying something evil. Well, what is anything evil? Anything that's contrary to the word of God. So God gives you a prophecy through your man of God that says nothing shall by any means harm you this year. This is the year for you to stretch your faith. This is the year for you to, to run and to run swiftly. This is your season. This is your time. But yet you're afraid because of what the media says. And then you say out of your mouth, now is not the time because of the economy. You have now just spoken evil. You have, you have now just spoken evil. I love, and if you missed it on Wednesday night, uh, you, you need to get the tape. But BJ was going through a teaching on Wednesday night where he was talking about being fearful. And the Bible says that if you're fearful, you're in the same category as a whoremongrel, as an adulterer, as, 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 as somebody who, who practices witchcraft. He says you're in the same category if you are fearful. Now, now, nobody wants to be called a whoremongrel. Nobody wants to be called somebody who, who practices witchcraft. But the Bible did not make a distinction between those two. Use them in the same verse. Exact same. In fact, he starts off talking about fearful. And he says, if you're fearful, you're like. Now, to be like means that you have characteristics of those that are who he's describing. Amen. So he says, if you're fearful, there's no difference between you and the person who's laying up with everybody. Ain't nobody saying nothing in here. He said, if you're fearful, you're just like the person who believes in Baal. He says, if you're fearful, you're just like the person who's not paying their tithe and is a God robber. Now, he says in verse 14, he says, now, here's all you got to do. Depart from evil. Do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon who? The righteous, those who are in right standing. Watch this. And the Lord's ears are what? Open to what? Their cry, whatever they have to say. He says, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord does what? Hears them, but he doesn't just hear them. What does he do? He delivers them out of all of what? Their troubles. Say the Lord will deliver out of all my pressures. So whatever is pressuring you, the Bible says the Lord have a specific way to deal with that pressure if you will give it to him. Do what's ever going on in your life that the Lord has the ability and the way to deal with your pressure. Verse 18. It says, now the Lord is nigh unto them that are what? A broken heart. 
See, isn't it amazing how when you're at your last, you don't, you don't know who else to turn to, and mama can't help you, daddy can't help you, your rich friends can't help you, can't nobody help you, and then, and then all of a sudden you say, well, I ain't got nobody to turn to but the Lord. Isn't it amazing how he's always there? Why? Because he always attends to somebody with a broken heart. Once you've gotten pride out of your life and you realize you can't help you no more, the Bible says he's there to hear you and he's there to listen. But I submit to you, you can break your own heart. And I don't mean by breaking your heart in a bad way. I mean, you can say, you know what? I am not the smartest thing I know. I don't have all the answers. I do need to hear what the Lord has to say about this situation before I move on. it. Just because I've seen this situation before doesn't mean I have the answer. It says, the Lord is nigh unto them that are a broken heart, and save as such as have a contrite spirit. I love verse 19. Many are the afflictions of who? Now, wait a minute. So if you ain't got no problems going on, I got to ask, are you righteous? Because the Bible is very clear. He says, many are the that, that That's present tense. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but... But, that but does what? It cancels out those afflictions in the sense that the Lord is going to do what? Deliver me out of them what? All. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, there is no problem and no situation that comes my way that my God cannot handle. I won't even scream when I ask this. Then why are you so stressed out? If indeed you believe that, why are you stressed out? If indeed you believe that, why are you checking your email every five minutes to see if they emailed you and told you you laid off? If indeed you believe that, why do you keep asking all your friends to introduce you to somebody because you don't want to end up alone? If indeed you believe that, that the Lord, there's no situation that the Lord can't handle, why are you afraid to try this next thing the Lord's told you to do? The reality is we say it with our mouth, we even say it with our heads, but we don't mean it with our hearts. And the Bible says it's the issues that's in your heart that's going to flow out of your life that's going to cause you to get what's in your life. And if you don't have that, if you don't have that confidence in your heart, making the confession is good, but it won't produce the manifestation. You can say, I'm not afraid all day. I ain't afraid of dogs, I ain't afraid of dogs, but if a dog show up and you run, you're afraid. You are afraid. If you say you're not afraid of a dog, and in the moment, and I ain't talking about no big dog, I mean a little dog show up. The moment you hear a bark, the moment you hear a, I mean you is terrified, then you are afraid even though you just said you're not. So if you say I'm not afraid of losing my job, but you hear about somebody losing their job, you stop doing everything you were doing before, you're afraid. My wife and I decided, we don't care nothing about this economy. We had 10 things on our list that we were going to do for our house this year. We're going to do all 10 of them. In fact, I'm finding out that this is really the best thing to do because they're trying to give materials away. They're they, they actually trying to give stuff away. This is the perfect time to do what the Lord has instructed us to do. But you cannot operate in fear concerning it. Go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Just, just reach over and just touch your neighbor real softly and say, quit being afraid. Just whisper to him, quit being afraid. 1 John 5, verse 14. 
Because I know what you I know I know what that spirit is saying to you. Yeah, that, that sounds all good, Pastor. Pastor. You can tell when people don't believe because they say it slow. Pastor, I know. But but he, here's how I know. Because the word doesn't lie. And the Bible says in 1 John 5, 14, it says, Then this is the confidence that I have, that if I ask Yahweh anything according to Yahweh's will, Yahweh hears Edwin. And if I know that Yahweh hears me, then whatsoever I ask, I know that Yahweh will give me the petition that I've asked for. That's the reason I don't have to be afraid. Because if fear comes, I can ask Yahweh to remove it and know with confidence he will remove it because he hears me. So I don't have to wonder if this is going to work or, or, or wonder how, how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. The word is true. That's why I told you in your Bible, every time you, you receive a promise from the Lord, you ought to put TNT beside it. Tried and true. He made me a promise about my marriage. In my Bible, when, and over there in, in the book of, of, of Ephesians, I've got TNT, tried and true. Because I know when he says he'll restore a marriage, he'll do it. When he says he'll bring you out of poverty, I got TNT with an exclamation point. Thank you, Jesus. Tried and true. I've been broke before, but thank God I ain't broke no more. I ain't even got fear about being broke again. Why? Because the Bible says that that thing shall never come upon you a second time. No, 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 no. Do you understand why it's not supposed to come on you a second time? Because the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes what the Lord does. One time, when he does it, he does it for how long? So I ain't got to be worried about being broke no more. But if I'm concerned about being broke again, it's because I'm not trusting the one who told me that what he did, he did forever. And if you don't have those kind of conversations with yourself, you'll find yourself trapped back into fear. Now look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. It says, for whatsoever is born of God does what? Overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. What is it? It's our faith. My faith causes me to overcome the world. Now when he says overcome the world, he's talking about life's pressures. My faith causes me to overcome Life's pressures. But if I don't use my faith, then I'm just like everybody else. I'm subject to the same rules and disciplines that they're subject to. On your job, if you don't learn to use your faith, you're subject to what everybody else is subject to. That's the reason why when we have a conference and you've got to work Thursday and Friday, you all get all afraid because you feel, feel like you can't take off. You're not subject to everybody else. I can't tell you the number of times that people have come to us and said, I really want to be at the conference, or I really want to be at this meeting, I really want to do that. And Pastor Sean and I will say to them, then use your faith. But they said, nobody can be out the day before a holiday. Use your faith. And then they come back, Pastor, I asked them and they said, yeah. Isn't it amazing what happens when you will use your faith? If you'll use your faith, you can quit being terrified and not receiving the things that you believe God for. It's all kinds of people in this ministry, and I'm preaching it like this because I want you to get so aggravated with me that you will change so we can move to teaching something else. I, people in this ministry want to go back to school, but you're afraid because you're going to flunk the class. You won't know if you don't go. I bet you this. There is not one class in a university 
And I'll just say America because most of y'all ain't going overseas. There's not one class in any university in America that everybody has always flunked. You find the hardest class at the best university and somebody passed that class. With an A. Now, God is no respecter of persons. So if they pass the class, just, just one person. But the problem is you don't think that you're as special to God as they are. And that's the reason why you're afraid and that's the reason why you're terrified. That's why you won't try. That's why you give in. That's why you quit. That's why you give up. But if you understood how much God loves you, you'd be like, shoot. I want to go back to school. The Lord gave me a word back to go back to school. Everything that has hindered me in the past, he has now sent it to flight. But if you don't go back, I'm telling you, and I'm not telling you just to do this, but it, that, that prophecy has become my devotional. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, know, I don't have a devotional book that I go through. My, that prophecy is my devotional. It's, it's what I meditate on every day. It's what I think about. It's what I say. And I laugh and I joke and I have fun. But I'm telling you, when it comes to the word, I put all that stuff in first place. And the problem with most people, they like to laugh and have fun, but they don't understand the importance of the word. The word is the first thing in my life. It's above everything. Everything else is a close second. But the word, I, I can't be who I need to be for you or for my family without this word. I can't be the father I need to be without this word. I can't be the pastor I need to be. I can't, be the, I can't even fulfill my own goals and desires without this word. But with this word, I don't mean to be arrogant, but I am confident. I am confident of the fact that with this word, there is nothing that can stop me from doing what he has instructed me to do. Now, notice what he says. You go to Romans 10, 17, because the Bible tells us in 1 John 5 and 4 that we overcome the world by our faith. Well, Romans 10, 17 says what? Faith. How does faith come? By, by what? How many times? We gotta hear and hear and hear and hear and hear more word. And the fact that, that, that we spend 30 minutes in church and you're tired tells me you're not focusing on the word during the day. I, oh, I can all, I can always tell your level of involvement with the word during the week by your perception here on Sunday. Absolutely. I can tell, I can tell just as good whether you've been in, and, I, and it's, it's, it's a tragedy to the, to the American church that I, did you have to be in such dire straits before you spend time in the Word? It's a travesty that, that, that if you lose your job, now you're gonna spend 20 hours in the Word. But you got a job and won't spend 20 minutes. And so I'm telling you that you have got to put the Word of God first place in your life. All the time. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. But tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, it's not just enough to hear the word. You must become a doer. Go to, go to James 1.20. Now, we're going we're to camp out in James for a minute, so just get James chapter 1 and hang out there for a minute. You can't just, I mean, it's great that you hear word. Well, Pastor, I listen to word and don't nothing happen. Listening to word don't produce nothing. Ralph just told you you got to hear and do. You have to hear the word and then do the word. And sometimes doing the word is not always, it's like he said, it's not buying the thing that you're not supposed to buy when you're supposed to be paying your bills. 
James chapter 1, I want this out to amplify it. James. Now, now, now look at James chapter 1, verse 20. Say, I'm not going to be just a hearer. James chapter 1, verse 20. It says, For the wrath of God worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. The Amplified says, So get rid of all uncleanliness and the rampant outgrowth of wickedness, and in a humble, gentle, modest spirit, receive and welcome the word, which implanted and rooted in your hearts contains the power to save your soul. Now, this is important because he says you're supposed to be welcoming the word. So if you're welcoming the word, there's a way that there's a there's a posture about you that you welcome somebody into your home. Oh, come on. If you come to my house and knock on the door and I open the door and I go, huh? Are you going to feel real welcome? And then if you say, hey, how you doing? I go, fine. And you get ready to step and I go, you're not going to feel real welcome. In fact, you're going to feel like I don't want you in my house. And guess what? You would probably be right if that's what I did. Well, the Bible says that you are supposed to welcome the word. So when someone gets ready to break open the word to you, flipping your Bible like this, don't appear real welcoming. When the, when the Lord says, I want you to read your Bible, you're like, Grey's anatomy finna come on. Don't seem real welcoming to him. So he says, you need to welcome the word. In other words, you need to feel about the word the way you feel when that boyfriend call you. That girlfriend call you, your spouse call you. When it's an opportunity for you to learn something for the word, you should be excited about it. He says, and if you learn to do that, he says, then you can become a doer of the word, which means to obey the message and not merely listen to it, betraying yourselves into deception by reasoning contrary to the truth. Verse 23. For if any man, watch this, be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Or he's like a man who sees himself in the mirror. For he beholdeth himself, or he looks at himself, he goes his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he is. Now notice something here. He's talking about faith. He says a man who says he is a man of faith but then doesn't respond like a man in faith. It's just like a man who looks in the mirror, turns away, and forget what he looks like. He says it works the same way with pressure. A man who is full of faith ought to know that he's full of faith even when pressure comes. I cannot say I'm a man of faith and then look pressure in the face and then because pressure says something, I turn my head and forget who I am. I am still a man of faith, even though pressure standing in my face. If I respond by giving any other time, then when pressure comes, I still give. If I was giving, we went through this whole process last summer when gas prices went up. We kept saying to you, don't cut back on your giving. Now, some people may have thought they don't want to come back on to give it because they don't know how they're going to make it. We always know how we're going to make it. When I say we, I mean the church. We always know how we're going to make it. Why? Because if you don't give the Lord, it's been way too many times. See, the devil would have had to talk us out of closing the doors. He'd have had to convince us of that a long time ago. 
Because there's been times we needed a thousand, two thousand dollars to pay the mortgage and didn't know where it was going to come from and got a check in the mail from somebody who heard us on the radio. It's been too many times, so we know where it's going to come from. But what we have to do, the challenge is to stay the same in the face of pressure. I'm in a pressure situation. I don't change what I'm doing. If I come to church on Wednesday night, I don't change because the pressure comes and says, now I'm tired. If I come to, if they got church on Wednesday night and I come to Wednesday night service, I don't, I don't change because of pressure. I'm asked to serve or do something in the ministry. I don't say I ain't going to do it all because the pressure of having to do it is going to get me out of my comfort zone. So what? Do it. Amen. I don't let pressure stop me from being who I am. The pressure comes not to make me bitter, but to make me better. Now notice what he says here in verse number 25. He says, but whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty. Will you please underline that law of liberty? We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. Continueth in what? The perfect law of liberty. It says, he being not a forgetful hearer, but what? A doer of the work. This man, what? Shall be empowered to prosper in what? In his deed. The work that Ralph was talking about. See, you think because you hear a word, and because you do something one time, that that, that, that should be your guarantee to, to, to walk into your wealthy place. He says, no, he is blessed in his deed, in his work. So that means that when I get revelation from the Lord, I can't be terrified. I've got to do what he told me to do, and I've got to, and I've got to keep looking into the perfect law of liberty. We're going to talk about this perfect law of liberty. Now, now go over. We're still in James. Go to James chapter 2. He says, when pressure comes, you've got to be consistent. Tell your neighbor, say, be consistent in times of trouble. Aren't you glad that Yeshua was consistent in times of trouble? Oh, my goodness. If he, if, if he hadn't been consistent in times of trouble, do you understand? Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, you don't know pressure. <laughs> now, you start talking about Yahweh, you don't know what pressure is. The Bible says that there was so much pressure that he endured because of your sins and mine that it literally changed the appearance of his physical body. Take a nip again and say, you don't know pressure. No, you still look the same. You don't know pressure. He had so much pressure on him that literally his physical body changed its composition. But now why did he, and the Bible says at any time he could have called legions of angels down to rescue him. But why did he endure to let you know you could. He was an example for you. You will never, to your neighbor, say never. You will never suffer the pressure that he suffered. But I ain't Jesus. Oh, but you got the same power he does. But that's how good he is. He says, I, even though I give you my power, I'll never let you have to suffer the same amount of pressure. So what you're going through right now, the Bible calls a light. In other words, what he really wanted to say is what you're going through ain't that much. But he was nice. He said it was a light affliction. But what you're, going, what, you, what you're going through is nothing compared to what I've been through. And if I can endure it, and then just as Jesus is in this world, so are you. You can go through what you're going through. The fact that they ain't going to somebody being mean to you. Are you serious? Are you kidding me? 
You, you can't go through because because you don't want to have to serve in this department. Are you kidding? You don't want to have to spend an extra 30 minutes driving out of your way to do something for somebody else. Are you kidding me? What pressure do you think you are? When you lay your pressure beside his pressure, take your neighbor and say, you ain't got no pressure. Now, I ain't, trying, I ain't trying to minimize what you're going through, but I'm also not trying to maximize it. I'm not trying to maximize your pressure. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. So whatever you're going through, somebody else has already been through it and they came out successful. So quit having a pity party. Quit crying. Quit calling those so-called friends who like to indulge you in that mess and get up and live according to faith. Amen. Now, the Bible says, it says like this in James. He says, my brethren, count it all when you fall into what? Now, that word divers there is not the same word divers that you see when he talks about divers' tongues. That word divers there means twist. So he says, count it all joy when you fall into pressures that cause you to twist. When you fall into situations to cause you to be in ways that you've never been before. He says, count it all joy. And I know in your mind you're thinking, why in the world would I count it all joy? Read the next verse. Knowing what? This. That the what? Trying of your what? Faith. Does what? Work is what? And that word patience is what? Consistency. He says the reason the pressure is there is to cause you to be consistent. Because we are so inconsistent if we don't have pressure. It's the reason you have to raise children. We don't let kids raise themselves, and if they do, we end up putting, incarcerating them. You raise your children because the pressure causes them to be consistent. Tell your neighbor, say, a whooping. The right whooping is pressure. <laughs> yeah, you get the right whooping, that's pressure. And so we apply pressure to our children. Now watch it, and we do it. We apply pressure to our children, not because we want to harm them. We apply pressure to our children because we have a desire to keep them safe. How do I know? Because you run out in the street and a car almost hits you and your mama grab you. The first thing she do is not hug you. The first thing she do is grab you and what they do. Why you? Now, why is she applying the pressure? So you will know next time not to go out in that street. Why? Because the pressure I'm applying right now is actually less than the pressure of the car. The pressure that you're going through now, the only reason he allows it is so you can become consistent, so that the pressure that the enemy wants to apply to you will never come to you. Oh, that's why he says, those who I cannot chastise, those who I can't correct, they're not even my kids. And that's a nice way to say it. They're not even my kids. It, because I can't teach them anything. Now, the Bible is here. It tells us very plainly. It says we ought to count that all joy. Let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. He says count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Count it all joy when pressure comes. Change your thinking about the pressure. Now, now some of you, some, some of you will know, know this to be true. 
There are times in your life where situations have arisen. And when they did, you basically tucked your head, either ignored the problem, or you ran from it. But how many of you know it wasn't long before that same problem showed up again? It will always be that way until you learn to face the issue. And even if you face the issue, you still have a choice in how you face it. You can face the issue with a bad attitude. I can ask you to do something in the ministry, and you can do it with a bad attitude. Or you could do it with joy and get something out of it. The same thing is true when the Lord asks you to do something. The Lord asks you to do something. You've got a choice in how you want to do it. But why do it and not receive anything for it? At least do it with a good attitude so you can receive something for it. He says, understand, these pressures, they're designed to make you better. They come to make you stronger. They come so the faith you say you have, you can see if you really have it. Now, you ain't got to raise your hand, but how many of you thought you had faith for something and you realized you didn't have faith for it? Well, how did I know I didn't have faith for it? You quit in the process. The fact that you quit was indication you didn't have the faith you thought you had for it. He says that's the reason when the pressure comes, you got to embrace that pressure. Because anything you embrace, he said, you can deal with. But if you just look at the pressure and say, oh, it's too much for me, you'll give up and quit. But the pressure won't go away. It will come back again. And then you're less equipped to deal with it. Now, go down to verse 12 and look at what he says. If we can do what he says in verse 2, 3, and 4, look at what he says in verse 12. Let's read this out loud. Ready? Read. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, say pressure, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. He says, let every man... He says, endure that temptation. Why do you need to endure it? He said, because there's a reward for dealing properly with the pressure. There's a reward that comes to you if you will learn to deal with the pressure. Now, the Bible says this. Uh, Paul said to Timothy, he says, endure hardship as what? A good what? Soldier. Now, how many of you have ever heard of, and we were talking about this on last week, how many of you have ever heard of tempered glass? Or tempered steel. Now, I'm going to ask the question for those of you who raised your hand. Would you rather have steel or tempered steel? Kevin, which one would you rather have? Kevin said tempered steel. Now, the reason Kevin says he'd rather have tempered steel is because tempered steel is strong, but it's been taken through a process to make it stronger. The process that they take tempered steel through stresses the tempered steel almost to its breaking point. But in the midst of that process, it actually causes the steel to become stronger than it would if it had never went through the process. I wonder if I had some tempered Christians. Tempered glass. Ralph was talking about a guy who had built his house in Colorado with tempered glass. And he built it with tempered glass because it was designed to sustain winds up to 140 miles an hour. Someone says, now why in the world would you need glass that will sustain winds of 140 miles an hour? Because he had no intention of replacing the glass. Why would I go through the process of all this pressure? Because I have no intention of quitting. 
I have no intention of giving up. I have no intention of going back to the world. I have no intention of changing my mind and living like a dog again. I am in this thing to win it. So if the pressure comes and calls me to be temperate, I'd much rather be tempered. Temperate Christians don't break. It's those Christians who refuse to go through processes, those who refuse to understand that many are the afflictions or the troubles of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And they refuse to go through the process. And because they refuse to go through the process, every time it gets tough, they quit. Every time it gets hard, they give up. Every time there's something ain't working right, they say, I must have missed God. You didn't miss God. The indication that the pressure came is indication that you heard God. Understand, I'm a man of faith, but I don't ever think that when I get in the faith process, I'm not going to have challenges. You set yourself up for failure. If you think, oh, the Lord gave me this business idea, I'm going to do this, 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 and it's going to all work so easy, and you think you're not going to have challenges, that's your challenge right there, your own thinking. Because the moment you have a challenge, you're going to automatically assume that it must not have been God. The fact that I'm having challenges in this ministry is indication that God told me to be here. And so I have to understand that the Lord takes me through processes or allows me to go through processes. I didn't, and, and, and please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I ain't saying the Lord killed your mother. I ain't saying the Lord let your nephew cousin die. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that there are things that happen in your life that the Lord wants you to see how you will deal with them. He already know how you're going to deal with them, but he needs you to understand how you'll deal with them. And there have been things in my life that I went through and I failed the test. But in failing the test, it showed me what was in me. And so now the next time the test showed up, I had a reference point. Wait a minute. I remember last time I gave up on this situation. I didn't make the right decision. I can do it better this time. And then I passed the test. But the pressure was still there. And so you have to embrace the pressure. Now go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And then, go to, and then keep 1 Peter and we're going to get in chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. I love this scripture. And it probably has a lot to do with my personality, but I love 1 Peter 4 and 12. When you read it, you'll see me in it. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened unto you. I think if more people would understand this, you wouldn't be so fr- He says, notice he says this. He says, do not think it strange what you're going through. As though this is the first time anybody has ever experienced this. He says, don't think that what you're going through is so unique to you, there's not an answer or a solution for it. Please, somebody has dealt with this before and been successful. He says, do not think for a moment. He says, do not believe that this is some strange trial that has come your way as though it has never happened to anybody else. He says, what you're going through is perfectly sane. It, it, the fact of the matter is you gave an offering and now the devil tried to bring another bill to you. He said, don't find that it's strange. It's happened to other people before. Don't find it strange that you confess you weren't going to get sick and then sickness tried to come in your body. He says, don't be stressed out about that. It's happened to other people before. You just have to remember not to open your mouth and agree with the pressure. 
The biggest problem most people have is they open their mouth and agree with the pressure. Pressure says, I don't know how I'm going to make it. And you open your mouth and say, I don't know how I'm going to make it. And so now you and pressure are in agreement. And what was designed to cause you to rise up is now taking you under. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Here's what will happen if, you will, if you'll go through the pressure. The Bible says in verse 3, blessed it. Well, we'll start at verse 4. It says, wherein, verse 6, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, manifold pressures, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire. Now notice, he says your faith is going to be tried by fire, just like gold is tried. Do you know why they tried gold by fire? To take out all the junk. Gold doesn't come out like it does in an earring. Gold don't come out in a necklace. You don't dig gold out and it's got a 20-inch bone on it. Gold comes out in rocks. And that rock has to go through a process. And if the rock could speak, the rock would tell you the process doesn't feel good. They crush the rock. They heat the rock. They crush it again. They heat it again. Then they turn the furnace way up and they burn out everything that is not like gold. So that when it comes out, you have a something that is pure that you can be proud of. He said, that's what your faith is like. It ought to be something that goes on trial so that when it's over, you can be proud of your faith. So he says here, he says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom, whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not, yet you still believe. You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, verse number 9, receiving the end of your what? Faith. He says, even the salvation of your souls. And that's two things you've got to deal with. Receiving the end of your faith. How sad is it that all, that all these people got all these dreams they're believing God for, but they never see the end of it. They never get to the end of their faith because they give up on what they're believing for because they won't go through the pressure. He says, if you'll go through the pressure, he says, not only will you receive the end of your faith, it'll save your soul. Now, not save your spirit, because that's not what we're talking about. He says, your soul, which is what? Your mind, your will, your imagination, your emotions, and your intellect. That's what needs to get saved, not your spirit, man. Your spirit, man, is perfect right now. What's driving you crazy is your soul. What's causing you to stay up at night is your soul. What's causing you to be stressed is your soul. He says, but if you will grab hold to this thing called faith and know that faith will get you through the pressure, it will cause your mind to be at peace. That's why I don't stress. I got a saying, and I'll prove it to you. Anytime I'm talking about a situation and I'm talking about all these different things going on, what do I say at the end? It always would. What? It always work out. That's my saying. It always work out. You know why? Because it always does. It always does. Anytime we're talking about something and we're going through something, I don't care if I've got to, if I've got to make a decision about being here, doing this, doing this, 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 and it seems like I can't get it all done. At the end of it, I go, you know what? These are the things i got to, I got to get six things done. I only got time to get four of them done. I don't know which four I'm going to do or how I'm going to get all six of them done, but you know what? It all work out. 
And it always works out. Why? Because God is never going to put you in a situation where it won't. And even if you get in a situation where it won't work out, if you'll believe God that it will, he'll work it out. But you've got to have enough faith to believe that no matter what's going on in your life, it will work out. Here's the reason it doesn't work out for you. Last scripture. Go to 2 Corinthians. Get excited now. Second Corinthians chapter three. Here's what we don't do enough of. Now, I, I want you to see this. I really do. I want you to see this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 through verse 18 is about the fullness of the revelation of Christ. And I want you to see what it says. Don't just look at the words. Hear what it says. It says, but their minds were blinded. Tell your neighbor, say, that means they had wrong thinking. He says, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Here's what he means. That there was a time in the Old Testament that they had to have a literal veil, a curtain, that separated the people from the holies of holies. He says during that time, people didn't think they were good enough to come to God. He says, but even right now, and this, this is Paul preaching to the Corinthian church after the ascension of Christ. He says, even though Christ has already rent the veil in two, their thinking is still such that they can't come nigh him. He says, the veil is basically still there for them because their thinking is wrong. I'm telling you that fear can be in your life even though Christ has said you've been set free. All because your thinking is wrong. He then says to them in the next verse, he says, but even unto this day, when Moses is read, he's talking, he's talking about the book that talks, he's talking about the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He says, even when they read that, the veil is still where? It's upon their hearts. The veil, even though Christ came and rent the veil in two, anytime they hear the word, it's still upon their heart. You have somebody preaching revelation word to you, but because you're in fear, the veil is still there. So even though the word can say you've been set free, even though the word says that you have that liberty in Christ, that spirit of liberty, and I'm going to show it to you in just a second. I didn't forget about it. He said, even though you are in that liberty, he says, when you hear this kind of word, you don't get excited or happy about it because you don't see how you're going to prosper because the veil is still on your heart. You're just as terrified today as you were when you got born again because the word doesn't mean enough to you to conquer that fear. And so the fear has a veil over your heart. It then says in verse 16, nevertheless. Now notice this. I love nevertheless. There's two things I like in the Bible. Nevertheless and whosoever. He says, nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord. When what shall turn to the Lord? Your heart. He says, nevertheless, when it, your heart, turns to the Lord, the veil is going to be what? Taken away. He says, when your heart turns to the Lord, fear has to leave. 
I'm going to show you why fear has to leave. Because wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there, there is liberty. That Spirit of liberty. So whenever the Spirit of liberty is there, fear cannot be. So if fear is there, the Spirit of the Lord, which brings with the liberty, cannot be. He says, nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Verse 17, now the Lord is what? That spirit. Well, what spirit? The one that's going to take the veil away. He says, and where the spirit of the Lord is, what? There's no bondage. There's no fear. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's no lack. There's no depression. Wherever that spirit is. But how do I get there? Verse 18. He says, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are what? Changed. How do we get changed? He says, here's how we get changed. Into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. He says, here's how you get changed. You get this word and you start reading it. And it becomes like a mirror to you. I read the word and I read it so much that every time I start seeing something in this word, it starts looking like me. I start reading about faith and I don't know if he's talking about Abraham or if he's talking about me. And so I keep reading it and the more I read the word, the more time I spend in the word, the more I get changed. And so I'm changed every day from glory to glory. And before you know it, I become just like that same spirit of liberality. And then that spirit of liberality that I'm reading about now becomes actually who I am. And so now the veil has to be lifted off my heart and I cannot be afraid. But it does not come through a casual acquaintance with the word of God. It does not come. I don't care how smart, I don't care how smart, how smug you are. I don't care how much money you think you got. You are never going to prosper in anything in the Lord unless you leave the Lord. And then you're not going to prosper long term. But God will not be made a mockery of. He will not allow you to not put him first and make it. You better hear me. He will not allow you to not put him first and make it. Because if he allows you to not put him first and make it, he has now made a mockery of everyone he told they had to put him first. The Bible is very clear. It says you and I become this glory as we change into the image. But the only way to change into that image is to behold it. How do you behold? You behold it by holding it. I need to hold the word. Where? In my heart. I need to hold the word of God so close to me that it is my first response in every situation. And I know we're all growing and we're all becoming, but you cannot handle the word of God casually. And if you handle the word of God casually, you will find that every area in your life you have some manner of fear in it. That's why you won't get your own place. That's why you won't move out. That's why you won't buy a car. That's why you won't go to school. That's why you won't serve in ministry. That's why you won't take this chance. That's why you won't do this thing. Because you're terrified and you're draped in fear. But the word of God says all you got to do is let that spirit of liberty come into your life. He says, nevertheless, when it, your heart shall turn. Now, Pastor Sean says all the time, anytime you can, you That's the nevertheless. 
You can decide today, you know what? I'm through dealing with fear. I'm through letting fear let me be, make me be lazy. I'm through with fear making me procrastinate. I'm through with fear making me not want to try new things. I'm done with fear. Today I'm done with, today is my nevertheless day. I am done with fear. And you can cast that fear out right now. Or you can take it home with you. That's your choice. You, you, you can cast it out and leave it here and let the Lord have it, or you can take it home with you. And two weeks from now, three weeks from now, two months from now, three months from now, you'll be wondering why this year didn't work out for you. I am telling you, it's a travesty that you will come to this church and not be blessed. It's a travesty that you will come here and not be blessed. You have no reason to not be. If we didn't preach another sermon this year, you got more word than most people get in a lifetime. But having word in your pocket doesn't do anything for you. I got a hundred of pastor tapes, but you broke. That, 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 doesn't, that doesn't make me feel good that you say I got a hundred of your tapes, but yet you're not living any of them. That doesn't make sense. We got things in this. I'm telling you, there are things happening to people in this ministry because the enemy is trying his best to cause fear to creep into their lives. And I'm telling you that you don't have an opportunity to stand around and be weak. You cannot just sit around this year. Fear will come because the enemy knows that the word of the Lord must come to pass. It must come to pass. And because it must come to pass, he must do whatever he can to stop it. But greater is he. All right. Greater is he that is in me. I ain't going to say greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And I'm telling you, this is your opportunity. This is your time. You don't have to keep coming to church every week, leaving the same way you came. It's not about an experience. It's not about a, whether you shouted or whether you jumped or, 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 or whether you gave a bunch or whether you fed. It's about what are you going to do to change your life. Now, if you like the way your life is, you ain't got to do nothing. But I guarantee you topped out. You, you, you're at its maximum potential right now if you don't add something to your life. The Lord says, fear not, for it is my pleasure to give you the kingdom. And if you receive that, stand to your feet. If you receive that, stand to your feet. And what you need to begin to do, I don't want you talking, and I know that's a little different, I don't want you witnessing to nobody, I want you to witness to yourself. I want you to talk to yourself. I want you to ask yourself, what is it that's hindering you? Why do you keep tolerating it in your life? And then I want you to ask yourself the question, how long are you going to tolerate it? How long are you going to keep sitting around, going around the same old circle, just time after time after time? Ask yourself, when are we going to change? Ask yourself, when are we going to do something different? When are we going to stop living this same old life? Ask yourself, when are we going to start being real with each other? Because some of you need to be so real with yourself. But you're even scared of that. You're even afraid of being real with yourself because of what yourself will say to you. But you can overcome that today too. 
And once you've asked yourself those questions and you've made some decisions about what you're going to do, and I hope you make the right decision, and the right decision is you're going to change, then you just begin to, and you don't have to do it out loud even, but you just begin to ask the Lord to help you. However you need to do that, whether you need to open your mouth or whether you just need to sit there quietly, whatever you need to do, you need to ask the Lord to help you. The Lord says sometimes we, we hide in the midst of chatter. We hide in the midst of chatter. And for some of you, what you need to do is you need to quit asking everybody else what they think you need to do, and you just need to go between you and God and hear what you're supposed to be doing and then make a decision to do it. Quit being so scared. Quit being so unwilling to take a risk. Because with God, it's not a risk. Abraham got ready to offer up his son Isaac. And to you and I, it seemed like a risk. But Abraham didn't see it as a risk because when they asked him when he was going to return, he said, me and the lad will return. He, he had full understanding of what he was about to do, that he was about to kill and dismember his son. But he knew that God was so faithful that even if he put him on the altar and slid him from his throat to, to his bottom, he understood that Yahweh would put him back together again, even the pieces that he burned. And because he was so confident in it, he never had to touch his son. You've got to become so confident in whatever Yahweh's asking you to do, you're willing to give it up. And if you do, you'll never have to give it up. You ready to deal with the fear in your life? You ready to get rid of the fear in your life? You ready to stop allowing fear to hold you back from being what God's called you to be? Then you ought to just start giving God some praise for it then.